Hey, welcome to Victory at Home. And whether you are watching from your couch or your car, or maybe you're at the break room at work listening on podcast, I just want to say it is a privilege to be with you today as we get ready to close out our series on wisdom. Uh, in case you haven't heard, we're actually preparing and hoping and believing that next week we will be recording from the actual school that we meet as a church. And so we'll be able to experience full worship. Uh, I'll have a couple of people to preach to. And so we'll be getting a, back to the Victory Church service that you're more accustomed to. Again, we're excited about that. But I am excited about today because, again, we are bringing the series that we've been in for the past few weeks called Supreme, where we're talking about divine God's wisdom, how to get it, what does it look like, and how does it impact us. And we're bringing that to a close today. And I, I want to actually bring it to a close with a particular thought. And so we're going to be able to develop that thought from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 12. And it says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So now understand a little bit about the Apostle Paul. That, that's who, who is writing these scriptures. And he's a church planner. Uh, he's a follower of God. He was actually, uh, he used to persecute Christians and that was when he was Saul. Then he experiences God and changes his name to Paul and becomes this just radical follower of Christ. And like I said, he ends up planting churches, but, but throughout his ministry, he experiences a lot of tough times and persecutions. He's, he's snake bitten, he's shipwrecked, he goes to prison. There, there's all these crazy moments. And what's happening is he sets down to write a letter to the church that he planted in Philippi. And he listened to what he tells him. He says, hey, I want you to understand something about me, the Paul, the Apostle Paul. And that is this, I am not perfect. And I just love that. I love that Paul is making that clear right off the bat. Hey, I'm not perfect, but that doesn't stop me from pressing. That doesn't stop me from moving forward. That doesn't stop me from pushing to possess all that Christ has for me. And I think that's really something that I want us to understand today and something that wisdom really teaches us. And so in order to do that, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to get ready to put the title of the sermon in the chat. Get ready, whether you're on the phone, YouTube, whatever it is, get ready to comment. Here we go. The title of today's message is this, The Pressure for Perfection. The Pressure for Perfection. Listen, I know all of us are experiencing pressure. No matter who you are, no matter what season of life that you're in, there is some place in your life, some, some moment that is causing you pressure. For example, if you're a parent right now, there's just so much pressure on you on what to do with your kids, whether you send, you know, do I send them back to school with the risk of COVID-19? Do I keep them at home and try to do this digital learning thing that I've never done before and I don't really have the time to do? Do I try to homeschool them in the midst of being able to run, you know, my career, my home, my small business? There's just this pressure for you as a parent to be perfect. And honestly, there's not really a perfect answer. For those of you that are getting ready to go back to school, there's this pressure for you to be a perfect student and you're trying to process what it's going to look like when you're in a class and you're, you're social distanced or you're wearing a mask. or And there's just this, again, this pressure to be perfect. I think as a spouse, as a child, as a parent, as a friend, as a sibling, as a Christian, I think more than ever, there's pressure right now on us as Christians to be these perfect 
Christians. And everywhere we turn, look, whether you're cooking food, right? Pinterest forces you to be a perfect cook. Uh, whether it's all about your dress, whether it's your attitude, whether it's the car you're driving, no, no matter the way you spend your weekend, the way your vacation looks, no matter what, we are constantly being surrounded by this pressure to be perfect. And if we were honest, it's, it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting to be the perfect mom. It's exhausting to be the perfect dad the perfect son, the perfect daughter, the perfect Christian, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect employee, the perfect boss. It's just this exhausting pressure. And I think wisdom actually speaks towards that pressure to be perfect. We see it in Proverbs chapter 20, verses 9 through 11 say this, Who can say I have kept my heart pure, that I am clean and without sin? Deferring weights and, and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Even small children are known by their actions. So is their conduct really pure and upright? King Solomon's saying, who can say they're perfect, right? Who, who can say they're without sin? Who can say that their heart is really pure? So here's the wisest man in the world sitting down to pen wisdom literature. And what he's ultimately saying is, who can say that they are perfect? The other day I sat down to play some video games with my oldest daughter, Veda, and she picked out this Madden game. It's a, it's a football game. And I knew she had never played it and, and it's kind of difficult. So I was actually a little worried about how well she would do playing it. And so we start to play it and, and I'm playing, I'm not playing really hard, but I'm playing. And she starts to do really good. She's throwing some touchdowns and she's scoring and she, she didn't win the game, but she had a really good time playing the game. And so we got done and it was time for her to go to bed. And, and the next day and the next day after that, she was just constantly bugging me. Daddy, can we play that game? And can we play that game? And so I finally said, sure. So we go upstairs and we start to play it again. And, and this particular night, I, I didn't have a lot on my mind. So I was paying a little bit more attention. I was playing a little bit harder and she wasn't doing so well. And I was beating her pretty bad. And I remember she got frustrated and she turned the game off. And I was like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just not good at it. And I remember saying something to her, I said, so let me get this straight. Just because you haven't mastered it on the second time you've played it, you're not even gonna make an effort? And I think this is one of the pressures that perfection brings us. That if you and I haven't mastered it, then we're not even gonna make an effort, right? And I think this is a lot of pressure on Christians today. Some of us, we've been saved for two weeks and we're expected to master a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Right? You sit down to read the Bible, and because you haven't mastered Hebrew and Greek, you're not even going to make progress. That, that's a temptation that comes from the pressure of perfection. That if you and I can't master something, right? If, if you can't figure it out and you can't be perfect at it, then don't even try. I actually think that perfection is the biggest enemy of progress. I think that when you and I want to achieve something and we start in that direction, there's this pressure for us to do it perfectly. And if we can't do it perfectly, then there becomes a new pressure for us to just stop altogether. Think about the individual who says, hey, you know, I, I want to lose weight. I want to look better. I want to feel better. And so they decide that they're going to start working out and eating right. And so for like a couple of days, they really focus in on their diet and they eat right. And they go to the gym for a couple hours and they run and they work out and all this kind of stuff. And, and then they get ready to weigh themselves and they've actually gained a pound, right? So, th so they've starved themselves and they've worked out for two days. And not only do they not lose weight, but they gained a pound. And so they get frustrated and they just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what? I'm done with this. And it's because we can't be perfect right off the bat, right? It's the second day. It's the third day. And because you haven't mastered it, we just decide we're going to quit making the effort altogether. 
the, the person who says they want to start studying the Bible and get closer to God. And, and so they sit down and they get their coffee cup ready and their journal and their pen and their Bible. And they sit down and they start reading. They have this incredible day where they go through an entire chapter of Matthew. And then the next day comes and they hit their snooze button and they sleep in and they don't get up and they're too tired to read the Bible and they're busy. And now they're frustrated because they didn't perfect it. See what I mean? It, it gets us to a point, you, you want to sing a worship song, but you know that you haven't quite uh, been delivered from the thing you're singing about. And so because you're not perfect, it quiets your praise. And I think I just wanted to be able to say something for a moment that, look, get in there and work that snare, snare master. You know what I'm saying? Get in there and read that Bible. I know you did good Monday and you failed Tuesday, but go back on Wednesday. Get in there and sing your song, sing worship. We cannot allow the pressure to be perfect to stop us from progress. It's important for us to move forward. This is what Paul said. Paul said, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm still pressing forward. I'm still moving forward. Just because you're not perfect doesn't mean you should stop making effort. And I'll tell you what, not only do I think that perfection is the biggest enemy of progress, but I think that the longer that we allow perfection to bring us pressure, eventually that pressure will move us to perform, right? So again, there's this pressure for us to do it perfectly, for us to master it. And because that pressure is there, instead of us, uh, you know, being able to, to come to the truth that, hey, maybe we're not going to master this on the first try, what we'll start doing is we'll start performing and acting like we're perfect or acting like we've mastered it because there's so much pressure for us to do so. Let me show you what I mean. The Bible in the book of Mark chapter 8. There's a really incredible story, and I want to read it to you, and then I want to show you what I'm talking about. So again, chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 22. We're going to read verse 26. It says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. Okay, so these people have brought a blind man to Jesus, and they're begging Jesus, hey, touch him, heal him. Jesus is already doing all these miracles, and so they're like, hey, touch him, heal him. And it says, he took the blind man by the hand, and, they, and he, Jesus, led him outside of the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, which is an, you know, we don't even want to get in an imperfect way, a uh, miracle right there. But when he spit in the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, watch this, do you see anything? So, so Jesus spits on him and puts his hand on him and says, are you healed? Can you see? And it says the man looked up and said, I love this. I see people, but they look like trees walking around. So then it says, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Now walk with me for a second. Can you imagine being the person who has to tell Jesus, your miracle didn't work? Right? In front of his disciples and every, in front of his boys, you got to let Jesus know, hey, didn't work. Like, like you put your hands, you spit in my eyes, which was awkward, honestly. But then you touched me and Jesus said, are you healed? Can you see? And the guy says, kinda like, like I can see, but people, you know, people still look like trees. In other words, Jesus, it didn't work. Like, like your miracle wasn't perfect. Listen to me. If this happened in 2020, this man would have lied and pretended to, for that miracle to have worked just so he wouldn't have had to admit that it wasn't Master Jit, right? He, he would have just made up, no, no, I'm good. Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. No, I can see. I'm good. And Jesus would have walked away and he would have ran into a tree, right? Hit his head on a branch. 
Everybody would be like, what's wrong with you? But no, I'm good. I can see. I just, you know, I just wasn't paying attention. Right? We, he would have come up with this performance. He would have acted like everything was fine so that he wouldn't have had to admit that he wasn't perfect. Are you ready for the revelation? Look, get ready. Lean in. Get your pen. Get your paper. Get ready to type this in the phone. Here you go. You ready? His healing was predicated on his honesty. His healing was predicated on his honesty. How come we would rather pretend that we're perfect than to be honest and actually experience healing, right? Like, like what is it in us that wants to keep pretending like we're perfect instead of just admitting that, hey, we're not perfect. I, I, I messed up. I made a mistake. Like, and I'm probably going to make a lot of more mistakes moving forward, right? Like there's a moment where we can just be honest with, the, can I just release you for a second? You've had this pressure to be perfect and you're not. And literally, if you look at Mark 8, what the Spirit of God is telling you is that your healing is predicated on your ability to be honest. The moment that you can be honest, the moment you can say, I'm not perfect. The moment you can say, hey, that didn't work like I thought it was going to work, right? The moment you can say, I read that scripture, and to be honest with you, I wasn't released from anything. The moment you can say, I prayed, but the prayer didn't get answered. And you can say, I've been going to church for two years, but nothing's really changed. When the moment you can be honest with yourself is the moment I believe that the Spirit of God can really start healing your soul. Because it's that pressure for perfection that stops us from being honest, watch this, with other people but most with ourselves. And when we're not honest, we can't experience healing. I, I think a lot of people talk about, again, the, the blessings of God and, and the miracles of God, but I don't think we talk enough about the process. And sometimes we can be in the middle of the process and because we haven't mastered it yet, we think that we're doing something wrong. We think that we failed. But listen to me, it's the moment that you become honest with yourself that you can truly open yourself up to the healing of God. That's what we have to be careful of when it comes to the pressure of being perfect. So now listen to me. Wisdom does not make you perfect, okay? In case you, in case you think like, all right, well, Troy's talking about perfection and, and the wisdom of God. And so maybe what he's about to tell me is that once I get the divine wisdom of God, then I will be perfect doesn't work that way. Wisdom doesn't make you perfect. Here's what I think wisdom does. Wisdom helps you repurpose the pressure. Okay? So, so wisdom doesn't make you perfect, but wisdom allows you to take the pressure of perfection and repurpose it to use it ultimately for the glory of God. So let me show you what I mean. Let's go, let's go back to the Apostle Paul. Now he's talking to the church in Corinth. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And we're talking about repurposing the pressure. So he says, we do not want you to be uninformed. He's talking to his church. I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed. This would be me talking to you right now. I'm on your phone. I'm on your TV. I'm, I'm in your living room. I'm on your AirPods while you're listening to the podcast. And I'm telling you, hey, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed. Okay? Brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Watch this. We were under great pressure. I, 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 want you, I want to be honest. We were under great pressure. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to think that following God and that life is going to be, you know, just, just a walk and the daisies. Like we were under great pressure. 
It's true. The pressure existed. Now watch this. He says, in fact, it's far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul says the pressure is not only real, it's real. Like, like it's to the point to where I feel like I might die. That's how real the pressure is. Paul is not um, denying the pressure, but here's what he says. He says, we were under great pressure. Watch this, verse nine. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This is so good. Paul says the pressure is real, but the pressure has a purpose. And he says, not only is it real, not only is it serious, not only do I feel like I'm about to die because of it, but if I look to God and I use the wisdom and discernment of the Spirit of God, I can take the pressure and I can repurpose it and now I can use it to my benefit. So here's your question. What is the purpose of pressure? If I'm, if I'm experiencing this pressure to be perfect, if I'm, if I'm going through a crushing season or a pruning season and I feel, you know, I feel the gardener cutting away at me and this is difficult and it's a hard season and I don't understand where I'm at and I'm hurting a little bit and, and you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about what I'm going through and I honestly, I want to repurpose it. But for the life of me, Pastor Troy, I, I don't know how God is going to repurpose the pressure that I'm in. And here would be my challenge to you. Pressure often precedes a promise. So this is how you and I take pressure and repurpose it. Because once we understand, again, using the wisdom that God gives us, once we understand that pressure often precedes a promise, now we assign that purpose to that pressure. Let, let, let me give you an illustration. Take the baby eaglet, right, that is in the nest and his brother and sister, they, they, they've jumped out and they're soaring and they're experiencing the, the incredible uh, experience of soaring. And you got the little baby eaglet who's, who's in the nest, who for whatever reason has a little bit of hesitation, right? There, there, there's a little bit of hesitation between where he is and where God has purposed him to be. And so there's just, again, whether it's fear, whatever it might be. And so here comes the mama and if you know kind of how the story goes, the mama might give the baby eaglet a little bit of a push, right? So there's this pressure that is applied to the baby eaglet. So here comes this pressure that pushes the baby eaglet out of the nest. And it was the exact pressure that pushed him that actually took him from where he was to where he was supposed to be. Watch this. The pressure is the process, but flying is the promise. Do you catch that? The, the, the pressure is the process, but flying is the promise. Therefore, understanding that it's really possible that God will take, remember, he works all things for the good of those who love him. So he will take the pressure that culture is bringing to you to be perfect, and he will repurpose it and recycle it, and it will move you into the very realm of God's purpose for your life. It'll open up the promise that God has for you. The pressure is kicking you, but the promise is you flying. Come on, we need to hear that today. The pressure might be all around you, but it's the promise that God wants to do something great in you. So no longer is the pressure for me to be perfect, but the pressure is for God God to prune me so that I can operate and walk into the promise that God has for me. Y'all ain't ready for me. 
Yeah, look, put your phone down and run around your living room for a minute. Y'all are in trouble next week because next week I'm going to be looking at real people and I'm not going to be attached to wires and I'm about to preach down the house. Do you understand me? God's, God will use that pressure to open up his promise. I'll give you another illustration. A couple, uh, I guess right in the early time of the quarantine, it's hot outside. My kids keep wanting to go outside and play and I walk out and I immediately experience my skin melting. And I'm like, all right, I, I need, we need to be able to have some refreshing moments in, in this heat. And so I get this bright idea one day that I'm going to go buy my kids water guns. Now here's the deal. Number one, I'm cheap. Number two, I happen to be out in the area near the dollar store. And so I run into the dollar store and I'm like, I'll just buy a couple of water guns and then we can squirt each other with water guns and that'll be refreshing in the heat. So I get these dollar store water guns and I come home and I'm so excited about them, right? Because I'm like, these, you know, the girls are going to be like, oh, this is amazing. And everybody's going to be refreshed by the squirting of cold water. And so I fill up the water guns and I give it to them and they start shooting them. And first of all, the water, uh, some, of, some of the water is not even coming out for a while. And eventually when it starts to come out, I think the, the distance of the water might have been about six inches to, to like a foot. Like it was just embarrassing. Like if they were, you know, if they were even a little bit of distance from each other, they weren't going to actually get water on each other. And if they did, you know, it was just like a sprinkle. It, it, you know, it wasn't a real experience of refreshing water. And so I got angry. And I remember my kids are like, why, why are you angry? Because they don't know any better. They think that this is what a water gun is. And so I said, girls, listen, when I was your age, we had the Super Soaker, the Super Soaker 1500 and all. I started naming all these things. And they're like, what's the Super Soaker? And I started telling them stories about these guns I had. I mean, they were, they were as big as my body. I had this one. I don't know if anybody watching, if you remember it, I want you to comment on the chat about it. But it was like a massive uh, bucket that you wore as a backpack and it had a hose and just, it wasn't even a real gun. It was just like a hose and you could just squirt. I don't, I think, I think the thing held five gallons of water. And so you could just drench kids all day. It was phenomenal. And that was my experience when it came to water guns. So watching these little ridiculous things that they had in their hand was making me angry, especially the fact that I paid for them. So I'm telling them the story about the super soaker and you know, their eyes are just like, Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. And they're like, dad, dad. And I'm like, yeah, the water would go like 10 feet and you know, it'd be, it'd come out with such pressure. It would knock a kid down. They're like, dad, what caused the super soaker to be so good? And I remember having to tell them, because the super circle worked with pressure, right? You remember that? Remember you would get that super soaker and you start building up that pressure and the more pressure that it experienced, the further the water could go. Why? Because when we learn how to use pressure, when we learn the purpose of pressure, here's why I know that we're not already in the school by this week, because I would have brought a water gun and I would have squirted everybody in the church. Right? That, that, that's how I, the pressure is what caused the water to be able to go further. It's the pressure that the world brings to you when we repurpose it for the work of God that actually propels us to the promise. There's a lot of peace, but it propels us to the promise that God has for our lives. I'm going to give you permission right now. Permission to repurpose the pressure that the culture gives you to be able to propel you to the promise that God has for your life. Come on, if you don't tweet that, Instagram that, get it tattooed on your arm, put it on your car window, that is what we are supposed to do with the pressure that the world is bringing us. Repurpose it so that we can walk in the promise that God has for your life. Listen, I'm telling you right now, you're under a lot of pressure and you think it's because you did something wrong. 
And I'm telling you, it's because God has such a large promise for your life. And it's that pressure that he wants you to take and repurpose so that it can take you to the next level. And listen, the pressure isn't a surprise to Jesus. Pressure is a prerequisite of being able to experience all that God has for your life. And there was nobody who repurposed pressure better than Jesus. Let me show you what I mean, okay? So we're going to read in the book of Luke, chapter 22. It's going to be a familiar story. This is going to be the story wrapping around the Last Supper. But I want to read it, and then I want to show you what Jesus is doing with pressure in the story. So we're going to start at verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So first of all, Jesus is already letting them know, hey, the pressure's coming. The crushing is coming. The suffering is coming. Again, because he can't get to his potential without the pressure. So he says, for I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So so let me help you see this particular moment that we're in. Jesus has got in his hand a cup of wine. Wine produced from one of the only fruits that are raised to be crushed. Again, a, a grape is raised so that it can be crushed and makes wine. So you've got Jesus in his hand holding this fruit, again, that is created only to be crushed. And Jesus himself was born to be killed. So you've got got Jesus himself, who was born to be crushed, holding fruit that was born to be crushed. And he's showing it to his disciples saying, when you see this picture, remember me. Jesus is saying, I couldn't get to my purpose, my my ultimate potential without the crushing. And in the same way, the grapes experience their highest potential once they're crushed. And do you see the symbol where Jesus is laying out the experience of Christianity, where he's saying, when it comes to following Christ, you and I can only experience our highest potential once we've accepted the crushing. Once we've accepted the pressure, crushing is pressure given purpose. The pressure that Jesus was experiencing had purpose. The pressure that is put onto a grape in a wine press has purpose. Think about it. It was the pressure and the crushing in prison that moved Joseph to his purpose. It was the pressure and the crushing with Goliath that moved David to his potential. It was the pressure and the crushing of the lion's den that moved Daniel to his purpose. And I'm just here to encourage you this morning that if you will just stop for a second and repurpose your pressure and stop calling it pressure and start acknowledging it as crushing, then you will begin to see that it's actually preparation for your calling.
if you've paid any attention recently to my Facebook, my social media, you know that I recently created a garden and you know, it's nothing, nothing fancy. I just, again, was kind of inspired by some friends and wanted a few different little hobbies and started this garden. And I got some cilantro and green peppers and all this kind of stuff. And so this past weekend, my mom came in town. And while she was in town, she went outside and she, she's a gardener. And so she's looking at all of the plants that I have. And, and she, she brings the attention to the cilantro. And she says, it's growing beautifully. It's great. And she goes, now, if you would just cut this off, then it'll grow back even better. And it was just funny to me because here is this organism, this plant that is doing well, but if you would cut it, it would do better, right? So if there was a crushing or a pressure, something that, again, is doing well, that's faithful, that's fruitful, could even be more fruitful. The idea that there's a knife in between fruitful and more fruitful. I, I want to read a verse to you and then I want to do something special here at the end for those of you that are you're experiencing pressure, but you're hearing the presence of God this morning tell you that that pressure is meant to be repurposed so that you can finally step into the calling that God has on your life. And I love it. I, I stumbled upon John 15 verse 2. Look what it says. It says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So again, if, 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 if there's no fruit in it, then it's gone. But here's the part that I think we often overlook. It says, while every branch that does bear fruit. So again, this branch is fruitful. This branch is successful. This branch is in its wheel. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. I just came to tell you this morning that you can take that pressure and you can repurpose it, and you can call it crushing, and you can call it pruning, and you can call it cutting, and you can allow it to take you from fruit to more fruit. So I wanna challenge you this morning. Do you have a season right now in your life? Do you have a situation that you've experienced, a mistake that you made, that up until this point has been putting pressure on you to be perfect, and now you can rename that you can repurpose that and you can use it as a crushing. You can use it as a pruning that it's making you better and it's making you wiser and it's making you stronger so that you can step in to the calling and the purpose that God has for your life. We are repurposing pressure. It's not suffering, it's preparation. I wanna to end today doing something a little different. Again, if maybe this message is just speaking right to your heart and you're in that season that you were assigning it as suffering, but now you're realizing that it's crushing and it's preparation. I thought it'd be cool to end today by just allowing you the opportunity to hear a song, a song that will speak right to your heart about the idea of repurposing pressure. So do me a favor, just kind of close your eyes, do your best to set yourself up in a situation where you can have some silence and you can focus for a couple of minutes and enjoy this song. Surrender 
presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you that not only did you prepare us for crushing, when, when, when we see your life, when we see what you did, not only did we see it that you experienced suffering, you experienced crushing, 
But now we understand that you take our crushing, our suffering, our pressure, and you repurpose it to make us better, to make us stronger, to position us to be able to operate in the calling and the purpose that you have for our life. And so, Father, I just pray right now for every individual that's watching, every person that's listening, that you would affirm them that what they used to see as pressure is really crushing. And what they used to see as suffering is actually preparation for them to be able to step in into the exact promise that you've called them to be. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the series on wisdom, and I really pray that this word spoke to your heart. Today, I want to encourage you, if you'd like to have any more information about salvation, discipleship, or maybe you just want to get connected, if you'd like to hear more about when we're regathering and what our faith looks like, I want to encourage you to text this number so that we can connect with you, stay in relationship with you, and inform you on anything that's happening right here at Victory Church. And hey, if you want to tune in for the series that starts next Sunday, do me a favor and subscribe, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. Have a great week.